The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the securities discussed. For more information, head over to investmart.com.au. Welcome to the latest edition of Skin in the Game. I'm your host, Nathan Bell, Portfolio Manager of the Growth and Income Funds at Investmart slash Intelligent Investor. And as always, joining me today is Alex Hughes, our Small Cap Manager. Welcome, Alex. Hi, Nath. Have a good Easter. I did. Great break. Uh, I hope you're not uh, too worried about the lighting in here, mate. It's very um, yep. intimate. There is some <laughs> mood lighting going on. <laughs> I don't know what our Stephanie producer thinks we're closer than we are. <laughs> so we've got a bunch of questions here. Uh, we're going to go through them, but I thought we'd just get an update on a few stocks you've been looking at. Uh, I know you don't, um, you love having your name associated with this first company, Ordinate, and who doesn't? It's been an absolute flyer, but uh, it's interesting. It's uh, a core holding in the growth portfolio I look after, which is still a recommendation of yours. What's the latest? Yeah, I, I feel like I talk about Ordinate so much, but I, I, I think there's um, some reasoning behind that because good companies with really good opportunities don't come up very often. Um, so I think it is it is good to really t- reflect on this opportunity here because I think it could be a really important one in the future. So um, our listeners will know this is a, a business that sells chips to AV audiovisual manufacturers, and those chips allow the products to communicate with other products. So if it's a microphone that has a chip in it, it allows that microphone to communicate with a mixer or a speaker, and it does that in a, in a digital way. Um, and so it's all about the network of the products there. Now, um, it's we, a real, we, I should just point out, that's a real competitive advantage because the companies that produce these, this equipment have actually got to incorporate this as part of the design process. So having relationships with those manufacturers uh, is a huge advantage compared to um, any other company. Exactly right. I mean, there's a number of usability benefits. So for the user, they can configure a, um, a setup much easier than um, they could do with an analog system. Um, but also for the competitive side of things, it means that manufacturers must consider the number of adopted devices for a particular digital protocol. Um, and so that pushes the industry towards the biggest player and, and Ordinate is that biggest player. Um, so we recently had the quarterly update, which showed the, the cash flow and, and, and cash payments over the last three months. Um, and the market didn't really like it. It was a bit softer than I think some people were expecting. But I think that really highlights the opportunity in Ordinate because I think when most investors come to a stock like this, they look at it and say, okay, this is a, a tech stock. It's a, it's a fast grower. What are other tech stocks out there trading for in terms of a price to sales multiple? And... And, and that sort of gives them a reference point which they use to value um, a stock like Ordinate. Now, I think that's that's a real mistake and I think that's a real opportunity because I think investors struggle to appreciate how fast this company can grow and to put it on the appropriate sales multiple, you know, it could be 20 or 30 times. That could be the actual appropriate multiple for this company given its growth path. But I think investors really struggled to do that because it's just so far out of whack with what other tech stocks are trading for. Now, the, the reason I say 20 to 30 times, you know, why that could be an appropriate multiple, it's because there's a structural shift that is taking place as we speak. So the world is shifting from analog to di- digital solutions um, due to all the usability benefits that is going to happen. I think that's very certain. 
Um, but because Ordinate is the leader in this dig digital category, it's going to capture lots of value from that shift. And there's almost no one else that's in position to capture that the shift, the value of the shift. And, and just due to the economics of the business, um, a lot of that value that shifts to Ordinate is going to convert to cash and convert to business value. So it's really unique in many respects there. Now, one of the reasons is that engineers at um, audiovisual manufacturers, companies like Yamaha, Bose and Bosch and things like that, they're factoring and building Ordinate into their systems two and three years out. Um, it's the most widely used, so there's almost no other game in town. And so there's no custom acquisition costs for Ordinate. They've already signed up all these audiovisual manufacturers. They spend almost nothing in the way of marketing because they've already convinced everyone to use their products. Um, the marketing they do spend is really just for trade shows and things just to try and convince you know, the, the, the users of um, these devices just to hurry up and start using them. Um, so because of, of, of these features, it means that in the P&L, there's just no marketing expenditure. They've got 100% 100, 100 customer retention. Um, so they hang on to their customers for a long time. So when, when the structural shift takes place, they're in a, a fantastic position to capture that value. Um, and I think that'll lead to really, really strong gains for shareholders. So yeah, that's, that's the opportunity. The market's just thinking a bit too short term. I don't think we can talk enough about the competitive landscape for this business because I just, it's very rare, I think, in the modern age where technology is just dismantling industry after industry. Companies that we once thought were impenetrable are just getting dismantled and profit margins are coming down. Yet, this is a really rare situation where the competition has basically given up and the competition's actually falling. I just want to very quickly just go through the three main markets uh, that the company's outlined, and I interviewed the CEO, Lee Ellison recently and, and he talked about the one billion opportunity, yep. uh, revenue opportunity that the company has. So uh, this, uh, in terms of the revenue context, uh, which gives you, I guess, an indication of the size that this business can grow to, but also when you're thinking about market share, which is really important, it basically has no competition at the moment I, and I, that's the point I really want to drill into. So $400 million is one part of uh, is the main opportunity that people are familiar with. Yep. So this is the audio-visual uh, market that you've already spoke about. Yep. And uh, I think I'm right in saying that uh, it has, uh, sorry, Ordinate has five times as many products with its chip in it than its next nearest competitor. Yep, that's correct. And the second part that they've recently just come out and said now's the audio-visual, uh, sorry, the stereo uh, mm. aspect of the business. The video side. So the video side. So yep. that's another $400 million. So just quickly tell us about that aspect. Yeah, so it's essentially doing the same thing, but just for video equipment. Um, so it would include having a chip inside a video device, and that allows um, the video signal to be sent on, um, you know, using software networks and sent in digital form. So just give us a practical uh, example of how this would be used. Um, so if you've ever been to a conference, um, they, they might have some screens that... Um, show people that are outside the conference, maybe you're in a, a breakout room or a waiting area, and they'll have a screen of the live event. Or even if you're at a rock concert, for example, and they've got the big screen, and that shows Mick Jagger up on stage. Um, now, there's, there's, there has been an issue in the past because they're two different signals, so they're not actually linked. And so there might be a delay in terms of when Mick Jagger actually sings a song and when his lips move on the screen. And so by connecting the two, it means that um, they're in sync. And so apparently it's quite confusing for rock stars, for example, um, 
when you see yourself on screen and, and your lips are moving um, behind <laughs> when you're actually moving your lips. Um, so that, that's just one. Um, uh, only a rock star could be looking at himself while he's performing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that's just one example of what it does. But So essentially it's just another chip and um, uh, a video device that handles both the audio and the visual side of things. And by having one chip that does it, it reduces cost, um, reduces complexity for manufacturers, and it's just an overall better solution. And the competitive landscape in that particular segment? Um, again, there's, there's very few competitors. This is something that Ordinate has a clear head start in because it's just so advanced in the audio side of things. Um, and so I think it's the first to market on the video side of things. Um, it obviously has relationships with you know, most of the existing manufacturers and so it has a clear head start here. So it's got the technology, it's got the relationships and it's already looking to get these in devices towards the end of this calendar year. Okay, which leaves the last segment, which is around $200 million. Can you speak to that? Yeah, sure. So that's the software side. So if we think about the audio um, side of things, so um, Audinate has all these chips and devices, and that allows um, those devices to share audio signals. Um, but what the software does is it allows the software user to control that audio network. And because it's Audinate's chips in the hardware, it means that they're the only provider in a position to sell the software to manage um, those devices and um, the output of those devices. So uh, the, the main product will be called Domain or Dante Domain Manager. And that just has a number of sort of security and, and just usability benefits for audiovisual professionals. Um, so the attraction here is that there'll be a monopoly provider, only they can provide it. Um, it's adding real value to users um, and I expect a product like that to be really high margin um, and incremental revenue on the existing cost structure so that you know, you're going to see some great margins from the company. The more and more I look into the great track records of the great investors, the more I see that one, maybe two stocks have absolutely dominated their track records. Um, the found, or basically the, the, the grandfather of value investing, Ben Graham, said if it wasn't for Geico, no one would have ever heard of him. <laughs> and it was almost a bit similar for Warren Buffett, uh, but he also had Coca-Cola was another huge one for him. Uh, another guy who runs Horizon Kinetics, the, the manager there, looked into Peter Lynch's track record, and he's the only person that's really dug into it because people always ask, how on earth did this guy produce 29.2% annualised returns for 13 years in a portfolio that ended up with 1,400 stocks? And it turned out there was two uh, big bankruptcy uh, companies that came out of bankruptcies that really drove his returns. Uh, so I feel like Audinate is that stock for you, Alex. Uh, <laughs> uh, just keep riding it, mate. It's, uh, it's a really interesting stock, but I think if you just look back at the, at the forest, just in terms of valuation on the back of a napkin and look at a, a billion-dollar market opportunity where there's virtually no competition at the moment, think about how much of that market it can take and how quickly and put the sort of margins on you expect from this business and even just very simply apply uh, a multiple of sales to this business. You just, all of a sudden, this is a potentially multi-billion dollar business over the next decade. The next company I want to talk about is Seek. What's Seek. the latest? Seek, yeah. Um, on the weekend, I was just thinking about Xiaopin. So that's Seek's Chinese opportunity. Um, they own 61% of, of Xiaopin. Um, and Xiaopin is, is neck and neck with a NASDAQ-listed business called 51 Jobs. And... I was, just, I was sitting there sort of digesting some of the recent information and it, it's not clear to me who's the leader. Um, I think you could make an argument that Seek has overtaken 51 jobs. If you look at some of the most recent results, 
their the number of um, users is growing really strongly. The number of employers is growing really strongly, and fifty one jobs is um, employers actually declined in the most recent quarter, where Seek's employers increased by thirty eight percent. And Seek's been ch- altering their model in a number of ways. So they moved to a freemium model, um, and they've also been investing heavily in their R and D. And they, they seem to have a much more of a long-term focus than 51 Jobs does. And you see that in the margins of the two businesses. So 51 Jobs has much higher margins than Xiaopin does, Seek's business. Um, so it looks like Seek's playing the long game and 51 Jobs is playing the short game. Now, again, thinking about these, you know, the long-term opportunities and, and, and how to appraise that in terms of valuation, 51 jobs or, or 61% of 51 jobs is worth about $5 billion Australian dollars. So that's the equivalent ownership level that Seek has of Zalpin. Um, Seek's entire market cap is a bit over $6 billion. Um, so could it be that Zalpin is, is worth closer to um, 51 jobs is valuation and, and you're getting all of the other stuff that Seek does thrown in very cheaply. So the Australian domestic business, it's Asian enterprises, you know, you've got Brazil as well and a, a number of sort of really early stage investments as well. Um, it, it's something that investors shy away from because it has a high P multiple. Um, it, it hasn't had a lot of growth in terms of at the profit line in, in recent years. But I wonder whether the same thinking is that I mentioned with Audinate, where investors are worried about short-term earnings and sales multiples when you know, there's a really value subsidiary here with a great long-term future, really strong competitively, um, and it's worth much more than investors give it credit for. That's probably uh, 12 or 18 months ago, maybe a bit longer now, but when Xiaoping was listed before and essentially a separate company and now it's uh, basically been recapitalised, new investors were brought in and one of the companies or a fund manager that came in at the time was called Hill House Capital. I think they bought 10% of Xiaoping. Now, they have an absolutely tremendous record of investing in technology businesses in China. Uh, they are a local Chinese fund manager. Uh, the guy who heads that up comes out of Yale, and there's a famous guy there, David Twenson, who tried to get him to stick around and help uh, manage the Yale, Yale Endowment Fund. He said, no, I want to go to China and I'll invest in all these technology companies. He's made an absolute squillion. I think he manages something like 30 billion US dollars. Now, he's not on that register or he hasn't bought into Xiaoping, which is now uh, unlisted. Uh, so Seek owns, would you say, 61%. Hill House have 10%. He's not there just to double his money over a little bit. This guy's there for making multiples of his money over the next five to 10 years. So I'm sure he sees that exact same potential that you do. Yeah. The next company on our list before we go to the questions is a company called BAPCOR. You've been doing a bit of work on this, Alex. What's the latest? Yeah, I, I was on the Gold Coast recently. I had some time off and I had some car troubles. And um, so we needed to go to a mechanic and that gave me an opportunity to do a little bit of scuttlebutt on BAPCOR. And um, it took a while to get the part that we needed. And um, so I had an opportunity to chat to these mechanics for quite a while. And um, I learned a few things about BAPCOR and their competitor, Repco. Um, so BAPCOR, the main business is Burson, and this is trade distribution for auto parts. So it provides just-in-time delivery for auto parts to mechanics. Um, and the reason they exist is because mechanics can't stock all of the parts that they need to fix the cars that come into their workshops because there's just dozens of models of cars on the roads today. And if they did 
try to stock all of the parts that they need, they'd tie up a fortune in inventory. So Burson exists to hold that inventory for them and to provide a, a just-in-time delivery service to the mechanics. So as soon as you bring in your car in, in there to be fixed, um, they identify the part that they need and then they get it from either Burson or Repco essentially. Now, this is actually quite a decent business. It might sound like a low-quality business, but I think there's a scale-based advantage at play here. Um, so having the most number of stores close to mechanics and the most number of delivery vehicles uh, means that they can provide good service. And so what I actually learned in the Gold Coast was that Burson provides better service, um, at least just to these Gold Coast mechanics, um, just because they got more drivers on the road and more shops um, in close proximity to where they were. Um, but there's also the scale-based advantage as well. So because you get really big players here, they get lots of buying power and then they can pass those savings on to the customers. Um, there, there used to be quite a quite a degree of sort of mum and pop operators in the market, but I think like most industries in Australia, it's tending towards a duopoly and Burson and um, Repco are going to own the market here. Um, now, I think it's it's somewhat interesting though because the, the car segment has been under pressure in Australia. We saw new car sales fall heavily um, late last year, um, the wealth effect playing out and consumers tightening their purse strings. Um, but this category should be reasonably resilient um, because demand for parts should be linked to kilometres driven rather than new car sales or anything like that. Um, so through a deep recession, if we do have one, um, the business like Burson, Burson should sort of chug along and um, people will probably, instead of getting a new car, they might, you know, get the old one fixed a bit more. So there's quite a consistent demand profile there. There's a trend uh, in the US during the GFC that people would rather hand in the keys for their homes than hand in the keys for their cars. Is that right? Yeah, well, I guess if they get kicked out of their homes, they need a, a car to sleep in. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is this is a business which I think is quite, quite resilient and quite competitively strong. Um, and there's also a decent management team here. They, they, they've run the business for a number of years, pre and post IPO, which was um, about five years ago. Um, and they've executed really well on their plan. And, and they, they do still have an organic store opening path ahead. So I think this business can be a bigger business in time and, and investors can get some growth there. So, I think um, Repco's gone bust twice, so that's a, potentially a very weak competitor. Uh, what would need to change for you to add Bapcor to the portfolio? I guess I'm at that stage... Um, maybe it's more of a personal thing where I I need time to digest all the information and, and get comfortable with an investment. So that's kind of where I am with this business. I've I've been getting familiar with the business and, and just trying to get my head around everything. And I guess I just, I have my own personal amount of time I need to do to, to go through that. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Um, in terms of the valuation here, it's it's not excessive. You know, you're paying the, the price to earnings ratio as much as I hate to, uh, mentioned that um, you know it's about a mid-teens level here um, for a business which which can grow over time you know quite quite a strong industry position and quite a strong competitive position so I don't think the the price is excessive um, so I think it's worth considering and if you do see more pessimism um, towards the auto sector this could be an opportunity here um, so yeah I'm just at that point where I'm trying to get my head around everything yeah, a lot of people make uh, investment mistakes by rushing uh, there's actually a really nice blog post written on it and uh, it was basically about why investors are stupid 
And it turned out one of the reasons they're stupid is because they just rush the decision. They put, they make decisions in the worst possible time when they're under stress. So it's not actually that the people, you know, by IQ standards are unintelligent. Yeah. They just put themselves in the circumstances um, that makes them make bad decisions. So it, uh, it is really hard, though. I find, you know, when you're going through your research, and you can't help but look at the share price, and the share price is moving in those those final days where you're getting comfortable with something, and it's so annoying when the share price goes up, say five percent, and then maybe that rushes you. So, avoiding all of all of all of those things is is really important, but it, it's still hard to do at times. All right, so let's go into. Uh, we've got four questions today. Uh, first one from Christian. Heard you mention Blackmore's in the quarterly updates. I used to own it from five to hundred fifty. My greatest investment ever. After the collapse of Pan Pacific, uh, it certainly helped. Uh, that was, I think, two thousand one or two thousand and two. People might remember. I sometimes wonder how susceptible these are, these companies are to change in sentiment if they ever stuff up in the way Boeing recently have, perhaps if there was uh, some contamination or worse, uh, a fatal reaction. There's a French company called Byron, uh, which makes homeopathic medicines, which is pretty cheap, cheaper than Blackmore's. Large family ownership too. I don't yet own it. Uh, generally, France is very cheap and some real gems. Interested in the different multiples and funny that Blackmore's hasn't captured the imagination of the Chinese and the Boiron has not, though traditional Chinese medicine is perhaps similar to homeopathy, if I say that right. Christian, you got any thoughts, mate, before I jump in? Yeah, I I read the interview of Marcus Blackmore over the weekend. I was I was really impressed actually. I it's so Straight refreshing. Straight talking is great, wasn't it? It's really great. You never see that. You know, he's clearly not a career CEO. He clearly has fu money. You know, he's <laughs> clearly he's calling it like he sees it, which is nice to see. Um, in terms of the business, though, I think I, I think there is a strong brand here, so that's always attractive. Um, and there is a strong growth path in Asia, um, so that's something which keeps it on my radar. Um, the the thing I struggle with though is just how fickle Chinese consumers seem to be, and how you know they sort of fall in love with the brand and then fall out of love with that really quickly, and it's hard to discern uh, when and if that will happen. Um, but I think I think you you could manage something like that with port, um, with the portfolio size. Um, um, but yeah, I think um, yeah, it's it's certainly something that's worth keeping on your radar. I know uh, I know you've got some thoughts on it, Nath. Yeah, uh, just a, 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 an aside, um, Mark Andreessen, I think, uh, was famous for the quote that software is eating the world. And he talks about it's not actually having the best software that's the most important thing, it's the distribution. And I don't know anything about Boyron, but I feel that's what Blackmores would have over just about any other vitamin supplements company is that they've just been around for so long. This is a company that goes back to at least the 70s, I think. And it's still only a fledgling company uh, uh, in terms of countries like Indonesia and China but for, for all the pressure on the share price at the moment and everyone talking very down about the business you know everyone like everything you read is really bad the uh, Blackmores has grown uh, its business in China within six years to be the same size as its business in Australia like it's absolutely phenomenal what they've achieved and yet people can't really look past the you know the, the, the instant problems of today what was most ref refreshing about Marcus Blackmore I thought was not only just his, uh, how candid he was and how honest he was, but that all the problems were within the company's control, all the problems that had been created, the company had created them for itself. Uh, like this wasn't market, sh um, in a sense, the market like declining revenue or anything like that. Um, you know, the balance sheet isn't leveraged. This is a business who in the past has marketed the right products uh, in the right geographies. And the problem more recently, he said, was just that 
we've got good people in the products department, but they're just not producing new products and we're just not getting them out there. Mm. And the Daigu channel, which is essentially people outside of China, but buying products in Australia and then uh, importing them into China, said we, we essentially ruined that channel uh, because uh, they just wanted new products and new things to sell and we weren't giving it to them. So uh, there was really no reason not to be doing that. It was, uh, it was uh, just an internal mistake and obviously that was part of what led to the CEO leaving. So this is actually what you want when in terms of if you're looking for opportunity, you want companies where one, there's no balance sheet problems because it means they um, can spend the money they need to to fix the problems and they've got time on their side. Two, they're in growing markets. If you compare the amount of money that the average Chinese person spends on vitamins and supplements compared to anyone else in Asia, yet alone anyone in the West, it's absolutely tiny. So you've got a runway of the next 30 years there. Like, forget about what's going on today. Just ask yourself, is this the right company and can they continue to create new products and distribute and market them, market them in China for the next 30 years? And my guess is they can. And they're actually doing quite nicely, although they're quite small in places like Indonesia. But Indonesia has 268 million people. It's um, 10 times the size of Australia and they've got a nice little foothold there. And again, it's another economy that should grow for a long time. So I just think, be careful about thinking too much about today and um, and the problems, but what you really want to see is the company when its share price is down to actually lay out the problems. And I've just talked about the new product, but another part is margins. The company has spent uh, far too much on costs and Marcus clearly pointed out that there's this fat that's got to go, uh, which is obviously a bit disappointing to staff because some people are going to lose their jobs. Uh, but he said we're too fat, so the margin should go up. And over time, there's a clear... Um, you know, growing revenue story here, and that's exactly what you want. So, I recently added it to the growth and income portfolios. It pays a three or three and a half percent dividend yield, and it's a company if it does the right things internally. And it, first of all, obviously, it needs to hire a CEO. If it finds the right person, I just don't see why this isn't going to be a great stop for the next ten years. And we're actually touring the Warrywood facility in is it next month? So maybe we can come back with an update then. Yes. Uh, it'd be nice to um, if they had a CEO by then, but uh, I'm sure even if they've uh, made an announcement, we won't, we, they wouldn't be uh, in the business yet. Next question. Hi, guys. Great podcast. A company I've come across uh, recently is Transport Technology, uh, ASX ticket TTI. It looks good to me. Profitable company on a ridiculously low priced earnings multiple. It has a foot in the door with the concept of smart cities, great potential, and even director is buying, albeit a small amount. Why is it so cheap? Am I missing something? Your thoughts? would be appreciated. Cheers, Andrew. Is it Traffic Technologies, TTI. It's uh, been a serial disappointer, this company. I've, I've kept an eye on it over the years, but to me it just looks like a low-margin, highly competitive business in, in a very um, difficult space. So they manufacture streetlights and, and road signs as well. Um, you know, so it's competitive with you know foreign competitors. Um, there's government contracts with lumpy awards and... Um, and it's just a difficult space and the company struggled for a long time and the capital structure is quite weak as well. There's been a lot of debt there and they've, um, that's really hampered them over time. Now, I know they're talking up smart cities and how they want to move into that space, um, but I think that's really um, a pipe dream at this point. It's not um, contributing to revenue or, or earnings at this stage. Um, so maybe that's something to keep an eye on, but I think due to the patchy history and then the poor capital structure, it's, it's not something that I'm interested in at the moment. If you want to make some money out of traffic technology, I assume you've got a better idea. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So we own shares in Redflex, and I guess 
one of the main differences there is recurring revenue. So Reflex gets um, a share of the fines for red and speed, uh, red light and speed cameras. Um, and so that provides a level of recurring earnings, whereas Traffic Technologies makes a one-off sale from the, the manufacturer and sale of, of equipment. So it's a really different revenue profile, and as a result, you get you know, a different risk profile and, and everything else. Hi, guys. I'm a value investor, and one of the stocks which has been showing in my stock screens lately is the small-cap stock National Tire. They're a retailer, profitable, posted net profit after tax of around $10 million in 2018, Margins have been crimped lately, however, the business sales are still growing. Price to earnings ratio up seven times, stock down 60% since June. Some new products might be catalysts for turnaround. Any thoughts? Cheers, Patrick. Yeah, it's one I looked at recently. Its share price fell a lot, so I had a, had a look at it. Um, and like its name, its name suggests, it's a distributor for tyres in Australia. Um, its biggest brand is a four-wheel drive tyre called Coopers, and that's about 70% of it, or 77% of its sales. So, I mean, similar to my comments about BAPCOR, I think there are a few interesting features to a business like this. You know, you get reasonably resilient demand um, because tyre consumption is based on the kilometres driven. Um, although, given the downgrades the company's had, it, it's clear that people have delayed purchasing new tyres in sort of tougher economic climates. Um, it also has an owner-manager, so a guy by the name of Terry Smith, founded the company, still owns about a quarter of it. Um, he's the CEO, um, and I think he has allocated capital reasonably well, um, and I think if he's involved with the business, I think you can have a higher degree of confidence that the company will continue to be appropriately managed in the future. Um, I guess the, my concern with a company like, like this is the key supplier risk, so with Cooper's contributing 77% of the company's sales, if that relationship ever soured, it'd be, it would be almost a business-killing event. Um, this is also a really low margin business as well. It's it's the distribution model where, you know, they make a small gross margin. Um, they do have low capital intensity, so they can generate decent returns on capital and decent cash flow. Um, but just those low margins means it's really sensitive to change. So if the Australian dollar falls, you know, if we see an Australian recession and the Australian dollar dips into the 60s, um, the gross margins here will be impacted and the business profitability will fall. Um, so it's just really sensitive to, to things like that. Um, I ultimately decided to stay away from this business, um, really just um, due to the fact that it's quite low quality, um, and I just don't see a huge growth path for the company. Um, maybe the price is too low, it's on a, a single-digit PE, um, but I guess it's become more of a personal preference to just avoid companies where the main attraction is just a low PE, and, and to really look for companies that, are that can become bigger and stronger over time. Did a bit of work in my former job uh, on the international listed tyre companies and some of them are actually quite interesting. The, a lot of them got absolutely thumped during the GFC. A number of them also had a high uh, level of debt as well. But they make a lot of money out of performance tyres. The, the margins are huge, um, but they just don't make a lot of money on the regular tyres that you and I use for uh, the Dualis at home that my wife drives. <laughs> but, uh, but interesting companies, but uh, if you're looking, um, this isn't quite the same as a tyre company, but a uh, fantastic company is Ferrari, which is listed. And if I'm looking at cars, um, that's the sort of company that we drastically un underrated when we owned it in my former role. Uh, the, the valuation is pretty high, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a company that basically uh, its special edition Ferraris uh, have actually performed better than the stock market, I think, over the last 10 or 20 years. 
and you actually have to have bought a whole bunch of Ferraris beforehand if you want to get access to those special vehicles. So it's basically you've got just uh, impending demand every time you launch these vehicles. And I think the um, incremental profit margin on each car at their current level of volume is something like 75 or 80 percent, wow. uh, which is just phenomenal. Phenomenal. So um, there's a, an idea for a different way to skin the same cat. Yep. Companies of pricing power and brands rather than low so margin It uh, might be a bit expensive now, but put it on your list for um, the next downturn. Uh, last one from Christian. There's a, there's a couple of questions. This this one, um, first of all, asked about RIB Software, which was a company I recommended when uh, just before I left in about 2014-15 when I was covering international stocks. The stock uh, the stock more than doubled uh, the initial uh, price when I recommended it, and it's come all the way back down more recently. Uh, Christian, I haven't had a look at it recently. I've got it on my list, so uh, when I do get time at some point, I will have a look at it. But um, the earnings I noticed haven't really gone anywhere in the last four years. And for a software company that basically had a better mousetrap in construction software, I would have thought this was an area where if it was doing well or had the right mousetrap, uh, these are the sorts of companies at the moment are trading in the stratosphere. So something's obviously gone very wrong there. Um, I'll check it out when I can and get back to you. And the last question there, uh, probably for you, Alex, any thoughts on the GBST takeover offer? Yeah, I think it's a get-out-of-jail card for GBST, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I guess a bit of background on GBST. So they they underinvested in their technology, um, and they did that at a time where their competitor, Bravura, was private. It was, it was taken private by a, a PE firm. And while they were private, they invested $100 million in their technology stack. Um, so then they relisted. They had far better technology. And GBST came out with an announcement that they need to spend $50 million in their technology to catch up. Now, that's obviously devastating to their P&L because they've got this huge expense, additional R&D expense that must flow through. Um, but it's also devastating for their sales momentum because by going out and saying you've got this huge R&D program, you're telling all of your customers that your technology is not the best, that you've fallen behind. And it's just a huge advertisement for Bravura. So as a result, GB, GBST has struggled and Bravura has surged ahead and now Bravura is buying GBST. Um, so I think, I mean, big investment programs like GBST is, is going through are really risky. You can get it wrong, you can overspend, and that um, happens more often than not. Um, so I think GBST would probably, probably be better run um, with the Bravura management. Um, so if I was a shareholder of GBST, I'd be looking to sell my shares and, and get out. As the founder, do you know still got uh, a large shareholding in GBST? Um, Rob D. Dominicus is still there, um, but they've been, um, Stephen Lake, who was the ex-CEO, he's moved on, and I think there was a lot of internal division between the two. The company had a lot of cultural issues. They struggled to agree on where the capital needed to be spent in the different parts of the business, and so I think there was a lot of internal conflict there. So, um, yeah, the, the founder of the wealth management products has been appointed the CEO and has been there for a number of years. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's got some internal issues to deal with and a big investment program, um, to work through. So yeah, I think, I think selling to Brevera is a good solution for them. All right. Thanks for your help today, Alex. Uh, thank you everyone else for sending in your questions. As always, you can send in future questions to skininthegame at investmart.com.au. Thanks for listening. I hope you had a great Easter and we'll be back next week. To learn more about the income, growth and small companies funds, 
head over to investsmart.com.au. Relevant disclosure documents should be read before making any investment decisions. And if you have any questions you'd like answered by our team, send us an email at skininthegame at investsmart.com.au.